Hashem, I wanted to record a quick idea continuing in this series on manifestation. It's a continuation of the idea of Tohu, of Ether, how all scenarios, all events, all items are initially created in their ethereal states, in their ethereal possibility fields, and when a human being encounters them, they manifest them, they cause them to congeal, hopefully in a good way through a mitzvah, through a good action in the world or otherwise through unfortunately a negative avera. So one of the key points here is the idea of Tchiat HaMetim, the idea, the idea of resurrection of the dead. In Jewish thinking, resurrection of the dead is not only something which will occur in the ultimate future when the souls will be resurrected in their bodies, but it's something that is occurring presently. The Leshem brings from the Arizal. One of the proofs of this is that in the second verse of the the Shemona Esrei, the Amida, that we say three times a day, it mentions five times that Hashem is Mechaye Meitim Barach Mirabim, that Hashem is Mechaye Meitim, he is, he is currently giving life to the dead. It says it in present tense, and the way the Leshem explains it, according to the Arizal, is the idea that the dead that are being resurrected all the time is the mystical idea of the Shvirta Kalim, those fallen sparks of existence of reality that fell down into ethereal space into the Olamatohu at the beginning of time. Again, so the reason that it says in the second blessing of the Amida of the Shmona Esrei, the silent prayer we pray three times a day, it says in that second blessing five times in present tense that Hashem is presently giving life to the dead is that the resurrection of the dead, while it will be something that in a special iteration of the resurrection of the dead will occur in the ultimate future after the universe is entirely fixed up. It is yet also something that is presently occurring all the time. Just as a quick idea, this is really beyond us, but it mentions in that blessing, as I said, five times that Hashem resurrects the dead all the time. And this is corresponding to the five levels of the soul. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. Which the Gemara in Brachot mentions that there are five levels of the soul <clears throat> that correspond to five times that, that King David says, Baruch Nafshi. Hashem said, Bless my soul. And it says there that there are five basic aspects of the soul that are similar to Hashem. <clears throat> Trying to remember that both the soul, both Hashem and the soul see but are not seen. They reside in the most hidden places. They give life to the entire... Hashem gives life to the entire universe as the soul gives life to the entire body. Um, it's Both Hashem and the soul are pure. And I uh, can't remember the fifth one. So, But that there's this idea that presently all the time, there's this idea of five levels of the soul, both in the human being and in the larger spiritual universe and Hashem is constantly reviving the dead this means that he is constantly taking scenarios which shattered and died mystically speaking and fell down into the ethereal space of the world of Tohu that as we said in the, into ether as we said that the six days of creation was an act of resurrection of the dead that, that the six days of creation was reviving and pulling together these fall, uh, many fallen sparks and many fallen vessels of experience of reality, pulling them together as the six days of creation, ultimately manifesting the Garden of Eden, but w- even higher than the Garden of Eden, that heavenly world of Atsilut, which would be the storehouse of all blessings. An image of this is in the prophecy of Yecheskel, that Ezekiel the prophet at one point is given power to go to a field, a a great field of people who had died, and Hashem gives him power, and he pulls their bones together, and flesh appears on the bones with sinews, and, and they manifest into beings. So this would clearly be an aspect of resurrection of the dead, but as we're about to see in this Gemara in Sanhedrin, this is simply put, the same thing that happens when a person is born. 
that from scattered material of the food that his parents ate, which eventually went into the material of his conception. So you have this pulling together of disparate elements and they congeal ultimately into a body. So just as in the scene with Ezekiel the prophet that he was pulling scattered bones together and he pulled them together with his godly power that was given to him and they got pulled together and reformatted and congealing into a structure and flesh is appearing on the bones. So that's really how birth works, that there was all this energy that it gets pulled together and congeals into a person. So life itself, in the way of the universal unfolding of time, life itself is an idea of resurrection of the dead. In the materials that are pulled together to become life, is mystically speaking, in the words of the Kabbalists, of the Arizal, the Leshem, and many others, Siddiquim, is itself pulling together what was called fallen sparks and shattered vessels of possible experiences, which in the cataclysmic shattering of the universe to create the space of the possibility fields of, of existence. So from that space of shattered energy, which falls down and dies, so to speak, from there, there is a resurrection of the dead that out of that wreckage is built the universe and the marching forward of time therefore is a constant process of resurrection of the dead. So let's see how that is hinted to in the Gemara in Sanhedrin. And so this will be along our lines of understanding that from ethereal space of possibility, which metaphorically speaking, literally speaking, is this idea of possibilities and existences which shattered and died and fell down into an ethereal space waiting to be resurrected and brought back to life, that this is always happening. So the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, page 90, um, side A, in the Mishnah that begins this last chapter of Sanhedrin, Kol Yisrael Yeshalem Chelech Olam All of Israel has a portion in the world to come. Shinamar Vamechulam Sadikim Olam Yeshu Eretz. That all your nation is righteous, they will eventually inherit the land. The land, Rashi says, is called Eretz Achaim, the upper land. That heaven itself is, is compared to this upper earth that is constantly sprouting forth blessings. And that's like the real unshakable earth that we know this world, it says that this world is going to go up in smoke one day. It's really mostly empty space. It's a place of becoming. It's not solid. People die. Nothing here is permanent, but the real permanent land is called the real land of the living, the Eretz Achayim, whereas this place is really Amadashukra, the world of lies, the world of death. People start dying as soon as they are born. But all Israel inherently are righteous, and they will all ultimately all inherit that true realm of true permanent existence. And the fact that this realm is being compared to the land is very fascinating because as we're going to see in a few of these selections I want to bring here, the image of sprouting forth from the land is a very central image in the idea of resurrection of the dead and in the idea then of manifesting and congealing realities out of ethereal space. If ethereal space of possibility which just as when you look at soil, so inherent in soil is the decomposition of the organic material before it is regrown. So too, inherent and the material that was in that soil is going to determine the growths that will then grow out of that soil. So that inherent in the soil and inherent in the seed in the soil is the whole journey and courseway of what will then grow back out from that soil and that decomposed seed. So too, ether acts in the same way. That in the ethereal space or the ethereal soil, the ethereal ground of existence, are tucked in there these shattered seeds of possibility, which as they come forth and become moments, as time, so to speak, reaches that area of ether to bring forth those situations which were destined to come out and sprout forth from ethereal space, 
as we saw way back, the Leshem saying that constantly realities are not smiach, they're sprouting forth from ethereal space. So just as in the idea of organic growth, whatever is growing out from the ground is determined by what is planted in that ground, so too in the imagery of resurrection of the dead, which is the idea of events flowing out of ethereal space to become realities, the whole nature of the unfolding of that process is largely in a sense, completely circumscribed and determined by what is coming out of ethereal space, so to speak, out of ethereal soil. Again, if you think about the analogy of plants, so depending on how the plant is tended to depends on kind of how it'll grow out, but all the different ways, if it's tended to properly or, God forbid, improperly, uh, you know, according to choice of human beings and how they tend to them their lives, but even so, all those options are circumscribed by the nature of the growth itself. Okay. So how do we know that all of Israel has a portion in the world to come? As it says, That they are the planting of my hands and the work of my hands to be proud of them. But again, we see this imagery of, of plants sprouting forth that like the soul of all Israel is like the planting of Hashem. And we'll just hold on to that imagery of growths. Okay, just to finish the Mishnah, but somebody who says that the idea of resurrection of the dead is not from the Torah, does not have a portion in the world to come. As the Gemara says, this is measure for measure. He denies the world to come, so he doesn't get it. Now, what I want to posit here, one point to understand, is he's saying, on the simple level, it's so bad to say that what it means that, it, that the idea of resurrection of the dead is not from the Torah is on the simple level if a person denies that the verses themselves in the Torah are hinting to the idea of resurrection of the dead. Obviously, there is no explicit verse in the five books of Moses that explicitly says that the dead will rise with their bodies. Um, so on the simple level, this means though that the person denies that it's hinted to in the verses and that there is a received oral tradition that that's what these verses are hinting to. And the Gemara is going to go through many different examples of where this is hinted to in the Torah, which I'm not going to go do now. But on a deeper level, what it's really saying is that the person denies that resurrection of the dead is from the Torah, it means that really the true identity of the Torah, what the Torah really is, not just the stories and laws that we read, but actually what the Torah really is, the Torah really is the life force of the universe. The Torah really is those divine codes, that divine intelligence, that just as the soul is a divine code, a divine set of intelligence, which is constantly giving rise to give life to the body, that the body is coming from the dead material of food, that the body is constantly coming from a lower state of existence, which compared to a human existence is like a state of death. It's less conscious than a person, so it's like in a state of death compared to a person. And the soul, which is the essence of the person, is coming down constantly into the world and as the body is constantly congealing around that soul and the particles of his body are constantly swarming around and attaching to his soul, it's the intelligence of the soul which is enlivening those particles and bringing them from death to life, which is the idea of resurrection of the dead, of, that, of those particles which are resurrected to become a living person all the time, right now. So just as it's the soul and the intelligence of the soul, the divine intelligence of the soul, which is constantly resurrecting the dead to create a body, to congeal and manifest a body, so too the Torah itself is like the soul of the worlds. As the Gemara says in 88, Shabbos 88, the Gemara in Shabbos 88, and many other places, If not for my covenant, the Torah, day and night, I would not uphold the laws of heaven and earth, that heaven and earth would disintegrate into Tohu, back into ether. That the, what that really means is that the Torah itself is the soul of the universe, which is constantly bringing forth out of ethereal space those fallen 
vessels which died and fell down into ethereal space of possibility, and the Torah is like the soul of the universe, which is constantly resurrecting the dead, which means that it's constantly bringing forth scenarios out of ethereal possible space and bringing it back to life, which is an aspect of resurrection of the dead, in the same, a very similar way that the soul, or that the soul giving rise to give life to the body and in the aspect of resurrection of the dead is an aspect of the overall way that the Torah is giving resurrection to the dead. So that a person who fundamentally denies really that this is emet, that this is the truth, that Hashem is basically constantly recreating creation according to his plan, that there, there is a plan, there is a timeline for how reality will unfold, as if reality were one great growth, history was a great growth, or a great organism coming out of the soil of ethereal space, coming from death to life, and all the playouts of history were already determined by those shattered vessels of experience, those shattered possibilities which fell into ether and are now playing themselves back out as they're being resurrected from the dead, to play out their experience, a person who denies that, he's not he's he's missing his portion in the world to come. Like because now here's just the question. I mean, what I just told you, like most people don't really know this. Like, I'm pretty sure. I mean, this is this is I'm I'm basically trying to simplify teachings from the Arizal, teachings from the Leshem. And none of that which I just said about ethereal space or fallen shattered vessels, none of this is Mephorish in the Gemara. None of that is spoken of explicitly in the Gemara, although it is hinted to in the Gemara and its commentaries, which I want to show you in just a second. But, so, why then, if that's such an esoteric and it's an explicitly hidden idea that it's not written down in what eventually became the written Talmud, but is a more orally received tradition that, and just, just as an understanding here, so it's brought in many places that as the generations descend deeper and deeper in their level and fall farther and farther from prophecy, from the levels of divine consciousness that we had when we had a temple, and these things, so corresponding to the, the fallings of the generations and the descent of the generations, corresponding to that, I guess you might say paradoxically, but to me it makes sense, there needs to be a stronger and stronger presence of the learnings of the Kabbalistic traditions in the appropriate ways. Wrapped up in tremendous metaphors, this really is the goal of Hasidut, of Hasidus, to take the Kabbalah and to bring it down to the language of the common everyday Jew, such as myself. I'm not, I'm just a person who learns Hasidus and trying to share it. But, so it's, it's appropriate to discuss these things in the right way because our generation is so low. We need this superpowered uh, information, this superpowered wisdom to help us, to help us stay faithful when the world gets darker and darker. It's like, so how do I believe in Hashem? as the world gets more atheistic and more atheistic, well, that's why we need more and more high-powered Hasidus, more and more high-powered ideas from Kabbalah. And that helps us to see, say, yeah, the world is getting darker and darker. People are getting worse and worse in many ways in their detachment from spirituality. But on the same time, if you look at it through the Kabbalistic lens, in other ways, the world is getting more and more spiritual with the development of miraculous technology, which the technology itself, if you look at it right, is more and more displaying the wisdom of Hashem in the world. The ideas that were once learned about in Kabbalistic books, and the Kabbalists knew that these realities were existing in heaven, now we are seeing them on earth. We are seeing instantaneous communication across the globe. This is described in the Talmud. It says like when a tree dies, or when a person dies, he screams a scream that's heard all over the world. And it's like, how is that possible? Well, now we can imagine a person making a sound and it traveling all over the world. YouTube, FaceTime, whatever. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, there are these <clears throat> descriptions of things like instantaneous global communication, um, 
other things like that, you know, coding, the, the, the language of Kabbalah is full of ideas of names which are coding realities, names and sequences of letters which give life to realities. That's code. So we can grasp these things, even though the world is descending more and more, we can grasp these things, paradoxically, from our world as well. And we need this, these ideas. All right, let's go into the Gemara a little bit. So we're now on page 90B. So, that, so it says towards the bottom of 90B, um, the Romans ask Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, They said, I don't know where they got this question from, it's kind of interesting. I always like wonder, when the Gemara talks about these exchanges between Jews and the surrounding cultures, like, and these people from the surrounding cultures are asking them these Torah questions, like, where does it say in your Torah this? Like, where is it hinted you in your, in your Torah this? Like, where are these nations getting that question in the first place? It's just interesting to me. But they say, where is it hinted, you, where is it hinted in your Torah that God knows the future and that he will resurrect the dead? Now, instantly when I saw this, I said, wow. Well, isn't it interesting that they're asking two questions and expecting an answer from one verse, they're asking again, where does it say in your Torah that God knows what's going to happen in the future? Two, where does it say in your Torah that God resurrects the dead? Why are they asking this, these two questions in one package? And I think the reason is, I believe very strongly the reason is that the Gemara in its presentation of this question and answer is hinting to the very deep idea that they're one concept that the concept of God knowing the future and the concept of God resurrecting the dead is one concept. Because the idea of resurrecting the dead is, as we've been saying exhaustively, the idea that the scenarios of the future already exist as quote-unquote shattered, fallen, broken, dead, spread-apart vessels of experience, quantum field possibilities of experience which, so to speak, died, and that the real true idea of resurrection of the dead is that in the future, those scenarios will be re-brought back to life and played out as scenarios, that as the idea of um, that there was always the possibility of this child to exist in the world, but so to speak, before he manifests in a body, that the vessels of his body like shattered and died, so to speak, in the cataclysmic shattering of the vessels and spread out all over the universe, eventually coming into certain food items, which eventually reach the plates at the dinner table of his parents, which eventually would then become part of the genetic material that they contributed to in his birth so that his very birth itself is a resurrection of the dead, and that the very guarantee that he would exist in the future is coming from the aspect of that eventually those shattered vessels of what would eventually become his body, that the encoding of, of, of his existence in a body was encoded in ethereal space from which he is being born from, and and that his birth is, again, an aspect of resurrection of the dead. So we see the intimate link and connection between God knowing the future and God resurrecting the dead. That because the idea of resurrecting the dead is only to make manifest those future realities which are guaranteed in the manner that we've been speaking about over and over, that therefore has an intimate link with the idea of resurrection of the dead. So um, then basically... The verse that they bring is that um, they say back to him, It's both from one verse. As it says, So the verse says, fascinating, that the verse says, God says to Moses, you are, you are going to lie down with your fathers like to die, and you'll get up. 
meaning that his body will be resurrected, or the word and could will get up could be read as the continuation of the verse, and these people are going to get up and sin and and reject the Torah. And so the Romans say, yeah, so how do you know that the word and get up is going on Moses' body? Maybe it just means that the people are going to get up and do a sin after Moses dies. And so the rabbi answers back, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah answers back and says, well, at least you have to admit to us half of what you asked, at least the half that God knows the future you admit to. Because the verse says that God knew that in the future the Jews would re- reject the Torah. But that's so interesting to me. Why is the Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania satisfied to say, well, at least we have half. At least we have a half, half of the, your questions. You ask two questions. How do we know from the Torah verses that God gives life to the dead? And how do we know from Torah verses that God knows the future? Well, I can't, it, seemingly I can't prove to you with a verse that God's going to resurrect the dead because the word and get up, maybe it's just talking about and the people in the future are going to get up and sin. Well, at least we have an answer to half your questions. But I think the Gemara is saying something much deeper in a subtle way, which is that really what it's saying is that the answer to one question is the answer to the other question. That the answer to the question that God knows the future automatically answers the question that God's going to resurrect the dead. Because God's knowing of the future is because inherent to the way reality is set up, that future events which fell down and died and fell into ethereal spaces of possibility into the Olam Atohu, the fact that God knows what's going to happen later means he knows that in the future he will resurrect that experience, so to speak, from the dead, that it should then re-manifest as an experience. Now, just again, as a huge disclaimer, this doesn't mean necessarily that all the downfalls of history had to happen. Rather, what it means is that they were always possible because their scenario was mystically planted in the ethereal spaces of possibilities of the Olamatohu and then re-resurrected later as certain experiences. As God willing, next time we're going to see in the Leshem that very idea that it says in the book of Ecclesiastes of Kohelet that there was a time and place for all things. At the call... That Hashem made everything beautiful in its time. That there was a set appointed, there was a set appointed time for all events. And what I'm saying is that that is intimately tied in with the idea of resurrection of the dead. Okay, well, just a few more things. Um, so, really quick, Shalom Cleopatra, Malchata, Rabbi Meir. Cleopatra, Queen Cleopatra now is asking Rabbi Meir, Queen Cleopatra of Egypt, I know that the, the, I believe in your Torah, I believe you, I believe you that the dead will come back to life. Because she quotes a verse, that basically the dead will sprout back up out of the ground like grass. But she asked the question, but when they get back up to be resurrected, will they be in clothes or will they have no clothes? So listen to the answer. He says, listen to this argument, this logical argument from wheat. What? That a wheat seed, when it is buried i.e. planted, it comes out with many clothings, i.e. it becomes this elaborate growth of a whole wheat stock. That the righteous who are buried with all of their garments, all the more so will they be then sprouting back out resurrected with their garments. So, it's tremendously fascinating things to say about this, but one point is, again, you see this explicit now connection in the Gemara between the idea of resurrection of the dead and sprouting forth from the ground, such that it even says, instead of calling it planting the wheat seed, it literally says that the wheat seed is buried, 
implying that the growth of plants as a regular occurrence is an idea of resurrection of the dead, that when it was planted, it was buried, and that when it sprouts forth, it's resurrected from the dead. So again, this tremendous hint in the Gemara itself that all life, all growths, is an aspect of resurrection from the dead. Another very fascinating point, which is a little bit of a tangent, but what is this discussion of clothing? So the Leshem explains in Chelik Biorim Shartanta Perkei that the idea, quoting the Arizal again, that the idea of garments, the idea of clothing is that everything has what's called heavily de garme, this, you might call it genetic code, that even before something manifests, it already has this thing called a lavush, this thing called a garment, and this garment, which is this, this funnel, this pathway, it's the ultimate parameters of the existence of the growth of an organism. So the seed is buried naked, the seed of a wheat seed, a wheat kernel is buried naked, means that it isn't quite buried naked, it's buried with all this potential to attract energy and grow forth in all these garments of it becoming a wheat stock. So to each human being is, so to speak, buried in ethereal space of possibility, is 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 at first brought forth by the creator as this seed. Like each person is like a seed, literally. A, a child begins from a male and female seed. But with all this potential, not just to grow genet- from his physical gene- genetics, that, he, that his physical genetics contained in those cellular seeds of his origin should mysteriously attract all this material to conglomerate his bodies, but there's also a spiritual DNA to the person, such that Leshem says in that part, in Chalik Biorim Shartanta Perkei, Ot Mem Vav, that the entire spiritual unfolding of a person, all that happens to him, that just as the entire unfolding of a body is encapsulated and encoded in a person's DNA, so too the entire spiritual unfolding of a person's life is largely determined by his spiritual DNA. That's not to say that a person is fated to have this or that type of life, but there's another Gemara, I think it's in Shabbos, but maybe it's somewhere else, that it says that before a child is born, there's this angel called Lila, there's this angel called Night, and it brings the, the tipa, it brings the seed that was used to conceive the child, it brings this seed up before the Creator, and it says, Creator, is this person going to be stupid or smart, uh, rich or poor, strong or weak, blah, 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 all these different things? But it says, but whether it's going to be righteous or wicked is not determined by everything contained in the seminal seed of its origin. But again, you see this idea that within the idea of, just as in the idea of physical genetics, that determines if the person is going to be male or female, tall or short, God forbid missing certain digits or limbs, whatever, the whole body is flowing forth from the spiritual seed, the, fi- the spiritual, sorry, the physical seed, the physical DNA. So too, the parameters of one's life in the grand sense is largely determined by one's spiritual seed, one's spiritual DNA. And this is something that was already laid out in the beginning of creation in the shattering of the vessels at the beginning of time and in the six days of creation. But what... Something beautiful the Gemara is saying here is that a tzaddik, a person, what does it mean that he's buried with all his garments? It means that a person, now listen very carefully, a person, as we said, the whole, the whole, and as the Leshem says, the whole logic of a person's life, all his outgrowths, all his unfoldings, the Leshem says not only his, if he's going to be rich or poor, all the good and bad times he would go through, all the times he would feel high and all the times he'd feel low, all of his happenings were already contained mystically in the seed of his soul, which includes, in a very tr- tremendously deep way, all the unfoldings of his life and all of his circumstances. That what's up to him is only everything is in the hands of heaven except for the fear of heaven. Whether he was going to be righteous or wicked, whether he was going to take that life path and do it in a righteous way versus a wicked way, that's up to him. But once he lives out all these experiences, it's called that he is gaining garments. 
It's called each time he manifests one of those experiences that he was always going to have and the basic contours of the experience he was always going to have and the concept of the genetic code of his soul and of his life. Every time he actually manifests those experiences and God willing, he manifests it in the right way. It's called that he adds to his soul another garment. That each time a person says, acts, expresses, thinks, does anything, expresses, manifests any, any aspect into the world, it's, it's not lost. The Zohar is replete with, with say, sayings and teachings on this. It says every thing that a person says, it creates a breath in the world that's never lost. Uh, such that, that in many places in the Zohar, it says that when a person passes on, it says, that the days of Israel drew close to death. And the Zohar says, what do you mean the days, of, the days grew close to death? He's going to die. He died on one day. Jacob, Israel, Jacob, who was our father, Jacob, who was called Israel, he died on the day he died. What does it mean that the days drew near to death? He died on only one day. What are these plural days? So the Zohar says, no, it says that all the days of a person's life, they all, when he's about to pass away, they all wrap around him like a garment, which means every single day a person lived, really every single moment that a person manifested something into this universe, it's being stored, it's being recorded in universal memory and spiritual memory bank. And it's going to be his garments. All the things he ever manifested, they're not lost, they're retained. We know this because we're constantly building our inner world of memory. Everything we ever do, it's remembered in our memory, but there's a spiritual memory. And everything we're doing is being woven as a tapestry, as a garment of what we actually expressed from the genetic material, so to speak, of our soul. That did we manifest it and weave our garment in a beautiful day? Or God forbid, the Zohar says that if a person didn't do a mitzvah that he was supposed to do, he didn't manifest a thread, a stitch in his garment that he was supposed to manifest and he doesn't do tshuva to regain it if he make, initially makes a mistake. If a person initially makes a mistake and fails to manifest something that they were supposed to manifest, they can do tshuva later and they can regain that opportunity back. They can do repentance later and regain that opportunity back. But the Zohar says, if God forbid, the person doesn't do repentance, so that stitch in his garment is, is not included, is left out, is lost. And Many, many writings, many teachings say that a person might have to go through suffering in the next world for that or might even have to be reborn into another reincarnation just for that problem such that there are many teachings that if somebody steals and they don't restore the stolen object, they might have to come back in a reincarnation to restore the stolen object. On that teaching, I have many questions like, so... I stole from somebody, let's say, God forbid, so I have to come back into this, and I never return it, so I have to come back into this world in the future to give it back to him? Well, what if he doesn't want to come back into the world for me to have to give it to him? You know, so maybe he does something wrong also, and we meet again in a new reincarnation. But it's also brought in many writings that Hashem finds many mysterious ways to have us pay it back through some type of loss and we don't even realize we're paying it back to avoid us having to come back in a reincarnation. Okay, off the topic. But the Siddiquim, it says, as opposed to a wheat kernel, which is, so to speak, buried naked and then comes out with its garments, but a person who, who was already born, he was buried in the ethereal space of the world of Tohu. He was buried in the space of possibilities from the beginning of time. And when his time is to be born comes, he sprouts forth from ethereal space and lives out his life. And he's constantly gaining garments. He's constantly gaining the iterations of how he manifested into the world. So then when he dies again uh, after 120 years and he's, he's buried with all those experiences, those experiences have been etched into his bones. All that he manifested throughout his lifetimes is, is saved. It's saved in a heavenly memory, but it's also etched into the very fabric of the bones, which re-resurrect, specifically the loose bone, that special bone found at the base of the spinal column, which doesn't disintegrate according to tradition. All of his deeds, all of the garments of his expressions in this world that he manifested, they are all downloaded and installed into his loose bone, into that special bone, 
And from there, he is rebuilt in the resurrection of the dead and in the fantastic, beautiful image that when a person is ultimately at the end of time resurrected in the body of the resurrection of the dead, he will be a being that displays all at once all that he was throughout all of his lifetimes in this world when he was still constructing himself. He will be a super being that's like manifesting all at once, all that he manifested throughout the long, arduous process of his life as he was marching through time in this world. So that's what it means that the tzaddikim will sprout back forth from the ground in the resurrection of the dead with all their garments that they created when they were doing mitzvot in this world. So to the Arizal says that every mitzvah, the purpose of each mitzvah is to build these garments. Okay, we'll do a little bit more in the Gemara. So this is an amazing Gemara. Amr le kesel rabban gamliel. The Caesar, now we have the Caesar, another special ruler from the nations. The Caesar says to Rabban Gamliel, Amir to the You guys say that the, the dead will, will come back to life, but behold, the dead disintegrate into dust, and does dust come to life? So again, we know, of course it does. A person starts as dust, he starts as the dust of the food that his parents ate, and he comes to life, but anyway... So interesting. I have no idea what this means. But the Caesar's daughter says, Rabbi, out of the way. I'm going to answer up my father. Okay. So interesting. Like, why? Why was that what happened? Why is it the daughter of the Caesar who answers up to the Caesar and not the rabbi? I don't know. Is it hinting to some idea that eventually in the world, all the nations will come to recognize Hashem such that even the children will know deeper than the parents? I don't know. So the daughter says, Father, Caesar, Father, I'll give you an example. You have two formers in our city. One guy can form a pottery, he can form clay out of water. Wow, that's pretty amazing. What a feat. And one, he's just a regular potter, he can form pottery out of clay. Which one is more impressive? Yeah, that potter who can make pottery out of water? What? That's pretty amazing. So if Hashem, now, who is like the potter, if he can form beings out of water, all the more so he can form, reform beings out of clay. Rashi, Rashi says, Shnei Yotzrim, two potters, Mashalhu, this is an analogy. Says like this. We're talking about Hashem as the potter. Now, Hashem is so amazing, he doesn't just make pottery out of clay, he doesn't just manifest things out of dirt and dust, but even out of water. So says Rashi, a person is like a formatted thing, which Hashem formats him out of water, out of liquid. The liquid being the male and female liquid seed that, for, that a child forms from, from the watery womb, from the male seed, that a person, wow, he is this uh, being which somehow is manifested out of water. Just as an aside, we read in the Torah in the very first verses that before anything started being created, that it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So this idea of water, this idea of ethereal, watery space that seems so empty, like you're going to form something out of water? There's nothing in water. How are you going to turn water into pottery? But the answer is, is that this watery ether is obviously not so empty. We know now in science, and they knew all this stuff forever from spiritual tradition, not through microscopes and stuff looking into cells, you know, into the sperm and egg of a man and a woman, but they just knew from, from spiritual received tradition that even though you might say, well, what's, what's in there? The woman's womb is empty. The seminal seed is empty. What's there? It's just liquid. It's just water. No, it's not empty. It's teeming with genetic material. It's teeming with potential life. This is the image of the origins of the world from ether. The ether, ethereal space, this nothingness, this astonishing nothingness from which creation comes forth from is not empty at all. That just as the, the say, for example, the egg, the single cell egg in the woman's womb 
it looks like nothing to the naked eye, but actually it's full of everything. It's full of the whole genetic plan of the child. This is the same way. This is a pattern. In Kabbalah, we know that everything, all patterns repeat themselves in all places in the spiritual universe. So if it's the fact that a physical body is coming forth from an essentially empty cell that to, to the naked eye looks empty, yet actually that cell is chock full and packed full of spiritual information, so too that is only reflecting a larger pattern that all of reality works this way, that all of reality is coming forth from what appears to be empty ethereal space, but which is actually the idea of the womb of possibilities that is chock full of like the genetic code of the unfoldings of reality, which therefore that again, just as the, let's say for example, the physical growth of an organism is largely circumscribed by his genetics and a person can take care of himself and be healthy, but he's not going to grow taller than he could be. You know, he might be a little bit shorter from malnutrition, but the basic way that his body will manifest throughout the years of his life is largely determined by what's in his DNA. It's the same thing with history. Again, we can, so to speak, take care of history and nourish history so that it's not malnourished, so that it grows healthy. But largely, the unfoldings of history are circumscribed by the genetic code, so to speak, of history, just like the growings out of a person in his physical body is largely circumscribed by his DNA. But again, what is the daughter of Caesar using as an analogy? She says, hey, father, Caesar, if Hashem can form people out of liquid, he's like a potter who can form things out of liquid. So Hashem is like a potter who can form people out of liquid. That's amazing. So obviously, he can reformat them out of the idea of clay that from their from their decomposed body, or specifically from their loose bone, if he could do that one thing, which was even more amazing, which is to form bodies out of liquid, out of the male and female liquidy seed, so obviously he can re, re-resurrect the dead once they were already bodies, obviously. But what I find so fascinating is that these two things are being compared. The initial birth of a person from the liquidy seed of his parents is being spoken of as a proof to the fact that Hashem will resurrect the dead later, lending again another uh, proof of evidence to the idea that birth itself is an aspect of resurrection of the dead, since the two items are being spoken of in the same proof. One more point in the Gemara. Now, this is the best part. Okay. I'm going to skip a beautiful one because we're running out of time. Finally, last part of the Gemara. Amr lehahu mina l'Rabbi Ami. This heretic said to Rabbi Ami, Amir to the You say that the dead will come back to life. But behold, the dead are dirt. And does dirt come back to life? So the rabbi says back, Rabbi Ami says back to life, I will give you an analogy to what this is like. It's like a king who said to his servants, go build for me great big palaces in a place with no water and no dirt. So, impliedly, out of pure nothingness. Go build me structures, go build me palaces out of pure nothingness. Halhubanu, Oto. They went and they built it. Liyamim naflu. And after some amount of days, it fell down. Amar lahem. The king said to them, Chazurubanu Oto, b'makam she'eshafaramayim. Go back and build, hey you guys, go back and build it for me, these palaces in a place where there is dirt and water. The servant said back to the king, We can't. We're not able. The king became mad at them, and said to them, In a place where there wasn't even water or dirt, you built all these palaces? So you were able to do it when it was very hard, like ostensibly you were building palaces out of nothing, no dirt, no water, just nothing. <laughs> now that there is water and dirt, 
All the more so you should be able to rebuild these palaces. Okay, what is this analogy? Who are these builders? Who are these builders that are building palaces out of nothingness, and then they're complaining when the palace falls down that they can't rebuild it from the, from the dirt and water, which is the, ostensibly the wreckage from the prior palaces they built. I mean, if they were able to build these palaces out of nothingness, these are amazing builders. Why are they going back and complaining that they can't rebuild it from water and dirt, which is less amazing? So just to answer that question, I, I think that the builders that build... Let's look at what Rashi says, and then maybe we'll answer that question. So Rashi says like this. This is all talking about Hashem. That Hashem forms a person from a tiny seed which has like nothing. So just let me point out, in the last story we read, the daughter of Caesar said that Hashem is like a potter who forms man from water. That he forms man out of a watery seed. That, wow, that's pretty amazing. You have a potter who can form pottery from water? That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. That's like Hashem who forms people from the watery seed of their parents. But now, Rashi says in this analogy, the watery seed is not even, we're not even looking at the watery liquid part. We're just, it's just considered like a total idea of nothingness. That essentially the real energy, the real energy that a person is coming from in the seed of his parents is like nothingness. Because it really is. It's, it's way more ethereal than water. It's the ethereal genetic code from which a person comes from. Okay. Obviously, if Hashem could build, construct a person from the nothingness of just pure genetic material, obviously he can reconstruct that person when that person already now has a body. And even though that body was decomposing in the ground, there's a lot more to hold on to, so to speak, to build up now. But look at this next move in Rashi. Inami. Or, look at this now. From one it's just a few tiny little words in Rashi from a few... Now, because I really want you all who's listening to hook in here because look at the and tr- tremendous, brilliant genius and Kabbalistic hinting in Rashi itself. Says Rashi, Inami, maybe this whole analogy of the people who build palaces out of nothingness isn't just talking about how a human being's body, which is like a palace, which is like a structure, is coming from the nothingness of the ethereal space from which he comes from. I don't know if Rashi would, would use the word DNA or genetics, but they, they had this received tradition that from nothingness, from the nothingness in the seed of the parents, of the conceptual, of the, of the uh, birth-giving seed from the mother and father comes forth a whole person, that this is essentially like nothingness, palaces built from nothingness, Maybe the analogy is talking about that, or at the same time, the analogy is talking about what? The entire world was formed from Tohu. So you see right there in that Rashi, it's as clear as day, and an extremely explicit connection between the idea that a person born from the ethereal nothingness of the seed of his mother and father is, the, is like the analogy of being a palace, being built out of nothingness. Because the, the real energy, the real spiritual information from the seed of the mother and father is really essentially ethereal nothingness. Like, what is it? Although it's everything. But as far as in the spiritual, as far as the the spirituality of it, compared to the physical manifestation that it will create, that before it creates something physical and manifestation, it's essentially in a realm of ethereal nothingness. The way that the idea of a building is like in a realm of ethereal nothingness when you compare it to the actual physical manifestation of a building. But. When the building is still just an idea, it's essentially nowhere. It's essentially nothing. Even though the whole building, the whole skyscraper, owes its entire existence, fascinatingly, to the ethereal ideas that give birth to them. So too, the whole existence of a person owes its entire existence to the ethereal genetic material that is, so to speak, the idea of the unfolding of this person. It's just a beautiful thing to sit back and think about in the first place. Like, 
we, we should stop, sit back and think about this. Everything we see that's a man-made object all began in the ethereal realm of the mind. And that, you know, and that nothing but nothing would be upheld in the manner that it is. None of the books, none of the furniture, none of the skyscrapers, none of the technology, nothing. They wouldn't be here if not for the seminal ideas that gave birth to them. So what we see all around us is congealed, frozen, manifested ideas coming from the ethereal space of the human mind, manifested, like just look at that. And if, you know, if those ideas were faulty, if the engineers made a mistake and their incredibly intricate, complex design of that skyscraper and God forbid it collapses, well, it wasn't a good idea. You know, it was an idea that led to death. But it's so fascinating. Just as all that is true by that people and their bodies is coming from the nothingness of their genetic code. And just as all items in the world is coming from like the ethereal nothingness of ideas that create them, so too Rashi says it's the same thing and the grand universe as a whole. The universe also is coming from Tohu, this nothingness which is actually chock full of information. That there is a there is an idea of ethereal genetic code to the universal process itself. That the universal process is coming from a nothingness of tohu, of ether, which is really not so nothing at all, which is really full of everything. So the fact that Rashi is making this very, very intense, fascinating comparison between the birth of a child from the seed of his parents, which is like ethereal nothingness, which is really full of all information and and. and you know, genetic information, that the universe is also manifesting this way, that to me is extremely significant. Is extremely significant. And again, tying this all back together to the concept of resurrection of the dead, on the simple level, what is this, what is this analogy talking about? If the builders can build the palace out of nothingness, then certainly they can rebuild the palace if it fell from the wreckage of the dirt and water that fell, that, you know, remains after the structure fell. So too, a person or a universe, right? Because ultimately the resurrection of the dead is going to happen to the entire universe, as the lesson says explicitly in many places in the name of the Arizal. So to the universe, which like a child was manifested out of ethereal genetic code of its entire existence, so obviously it can be re-expressed from, its, from the wreckage of, of whatever will be destroyed from it will be rebuilt. So, but again, tying this all together, what we have is the extremely fascinating idea that all growth, we've mentioned many examples, the growth of wheat from the ground is being tied explicitly to the idea of resurrection of the dead. The growth of a human being from the seminal seed and the egg of his mother and father is being compared to the resurrection of the dead as being more amazing than the resurrection of the dead. Because again, all these people are saying, if Hashem could give birth to people out of you know, their father and mother's contribution in the act of conception, which is basically liquidy nothingness, if Hashem could make people grow out of that, obviously he can resurrect them in the dead. But the two things are being spoken of in the same concept to tell you that birth itself... Growth of plants itself is, a, is in the same spectrum, is in the same category as resurrection of the dead, to say that resurrection of the dead is something that is always happening in the idea of the fallen, shattered possibilities which fell down into ethereal graveyard, this ethereal space of possibility which are reborn and resurrected when that moment comes. And that's why there's an intimate connection between the idea of manifesting possibilities out of ether, re-expressing and giving birth to possibilities out of ether to manifest them in the idea of people living out their lives and pushing history forward with the idea that is intimately linked with the idea of Hashem knowing the future. Because just as the entire unfolding of a person is contained in his ethereal genetic code, 
that again, he can be healthier and he can treat himself better or whatever in the unfolding of his body. And, in, and so too, in the unfolding of his spiritual genetic code, which largely circumscribes the logic of his life, he can tend to his own garden well or not. But the choice, that choice is in his hands, but the basic parameters of his life is circumscribed by the physical and spiritual genetic logic of his life. So too, since, since Hashem also knows the future for the whole universe, and that it is circumscribed by, so to speak, the genetic code of its unfolding, which is constantly re-manifesting, re-congealing, moment by moment in the aspect of resurrection of the dead. Thank you for listening. On main, we should understand this extremely deep.